Amen. It is a joy to get to be with you this morning and to worship our Savior with you. And thank you for the team just leading us to praise our King this morning. And if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're continuing on in this series through the book of Peter, uh, looking at our living hope. And I just want to remind us of the hope we have in Jesus that characterizes this letter and that we pray would characterize our lives as God's people, our lives as the church. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope, a hope that is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so that's been kind of our theme as we've been running through this book is that all the things that Peter is saying to the church and that Peter is saying to us as God's people at this church in this moment of history is that we are called to be a representation and to live out this hope we have in Jesus Christ. That our hope is not just anchored in a belief, it's anchored in a person, Jesus, the God-man, who died for our sin and who rose again from the grave. And that hope should infiltrate every aspect and every corner of our lives as Jesus followers. And so as we've been walking through this, this book, and we've been walking through the last several chapters, Peter's been speaking to the churches he's writing to and speaking to our church about what does it look like to live out this hope. And he says that our hope flows out of our identity. Like he talked in chapter 2 about how we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that our identity, who we are, is anchored in Jesus Christ. And because that is our identity, we've been called to a purpose. You've been put on this planet for a reason. Every single person in this room, not just the pastors, not just the preachers or ministry leaders, every Jesus follower has been put on this planet to bring praise to God. Again, in 1 Peter 2, he says, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we're here. And so that raises a question. How do we proclaim his excellencies? How do we proclaim his praise? So as Pastor Mike said, one of the ways we do that is through gathering together every Sunday and the things that we do in the service. But what Peter's made very plain as we've walked through this, this text together is that the way we proclaim His excellencies is not limited to church. Amen? All right, there was a couple people. Let me say it again. The way we proclaim the praise, the glory, the worth of Jesus is not limited to a gathering. Amen? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. I love having the kids in the room. That's awesome. Keep encouraging me all the way through. Yeah, it's not limited to just your small group, your life group, your study group, or the gathering. The way we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, His worth, His glory, should be in all of life. Everywhere we go, every aspect of, of our day, we proclaim His worth. And so there's two primary ways that Peter says that we do that. One is through the pursuit of holiness. That, that we recognize there's a war going on within us, and so as Jesus followers, we put sin to death, and as he says in verse 15 of chapter 1, we are to be holy as he is holy. Not just in our position before God, but in our conduct, our way of life. We're going to be talking more about that in the next couple of weeks. 
But then he says it's not just in our holiness we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. One of the ways that you and I can make Jesus put his glory on display for our neighbors, for our co-workers, for our family, is through our conduct, our way of life. And then he begins to walk through all these different examples. The way we view rulers, authority, government, and our submission, even to bad leaders, our submission ultimately under God is a picture that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our submission within our jobs, good boss, bad boss, good coworkers, poor coworkers, the way that we submit and we love and we show honor and respect and we take on a servant's heart brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ within our marriage, good marriage or bad marriage. We bring glory and honor to Christ. Last week we talked about the church, the way that we love one another the way that we serve one another, the way we have a humble mind toward one another. It puts the gospel on display. It makes the worth of Christ most visible. And as we come into our text this morning, Peter's going to kind of summarize all of it. He's going to pull it all together. And here's what he's going to say to us. One of the primary ways, this is really cool. I know you're dying to hear this. One of the primary ways that you and I put the gospel on display, one of the primary ways that you make Jesus look famous, one of the primary ways you glorify God on this earth with your life is through suffering and hardship and opposition. Amen, brother, right? I know that's what you're coming here this morning for. That's what you were looking for this morning. But I, I want us to lean into this. There's a blessing for us in this truth this morning. So let's just dive straight into the text together. If you have a Bible with you, chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13. Last week we talked about not repaying evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Now he's going to carry that theme forward. Verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when, that's important, not if, but when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. See, last week we we talked about how all of these things that Peter is talking about, the honoring authorities and submitting to masters, bosses, those who are in authority over us in our lives, within our marriage, within the context of the church, that ultimately all of those things are a pursuit of Christ-likeness, that we're called to be like Jesus. And brothers and sisters, here's kind of what I want us to lean into and think about this morning from this text. One of the primary ways that we grow in Christ-likeness, one of the primary ways we bring glory to God, is through suffering and opposition in this life. And that's our big truth this morning. God's people grow in Christ's likeness through suffering and opposition. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Thank you. Again, I know this is heavy, but I want us to see the joy in this. I want us to see how 
we do this together. So I just want to remind us, God's people are ultimately, we're called to grow in Christ's likeness. We talked about this last week. We are called to become like Jesus. That is the aim of the Christian life. That is the goal, that we would grow up into mature manhood to represent uh, the image of Jesus Christ, the fullness and stature of who he is in our lives. That's our aim. That's what sanctification is all about, becoming like Jesus. And this whole passage is kind of summarized in second first peter chapter 2 verse 21 which says this for to this you've been called because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example why so you might follow in his steps christ's likeness is about becoming like jesus what's one of the primary ways we become like jesus through following his example what's his example Suffering, walking through hardship, difficulty, opposition, like he did. Verse 14 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Verse 17, it is better to suffer for doing good than it be, if it's for God's will, than for doing evil. And then I want to remind us of what James says in James 1, 2 through 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So our truth this morning is that God's people grow in Christ-likeness through suffering and through opposition. So what I want to do is I want to just kind of dive a little bit deeper into that before we get into some big ideas. So here's just a few realities that I think are important for us to understand when we think about this big truth. The first one is this. You and I bring glory to Jesus through suffering. And we're going to look at this a little bit more through our big ideas, but when you and I go through hardship, go through suffering, go through persecution, go through trial, and all of those things are a little bit different, but all of those things have the same root... And when we go through those things well, praising Jesus, bringing honor to him, bringing holiness and honoring his holy name, uh, being zealous for what is good, trusting God and his will in our lives, that brings glory to God. And so if we exist for his glory, one of the main ways in this life that we bring glory and honor to him is through our pain, through our hardship. And can we be honest for just a minute? We live in a world and in a culture that says, at all costs, avoid hardship. At all costs, avoid pain. If you're overwhelmed and it's too difficult for you, and just you can't get there mentally, and it's just, you're just stressed and you're anxious and you're fearful, like push away from whatever causes that. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us this morning. One of the main ways we bring God glory is not from running from it, but from trusting Him through it. Praising Him through it. Walking and pursuing Him through the difficulty, through the hardship, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever that might be. One of the ways we grow as Jesus followers is through difficulty. So we bring glory to God through suffering. A second reality is this. We experience a blessing as we obey. 
in the midst of suffering. So if you have your Bible open, I want you to see this. We were talking about this last week. I want to kind of tie it all together. So again, in chapter 3, we read this last week in verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or for reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. So if someone does evil to you, instead of responding with being mean or hurtful back, you bless them. When someone says something that is wounding, hard, hurtful, evil, instead of responding back with slander or gossip or harshness, we bless. Why? He tells us, for to this you were called. Why? That you may attain a blessing. So when you suffer, when you're reviled, when evil is done against you and you choose to bless through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a blessing for you. He says this again in our text this morning in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, listen to this, you will be blessed. So not only do we bring Jesus glory through our suffering, but when we walk through suffering and hardship and opposition for the glory of Jesus, there is a blessing for us. What is that blessing? We talked about this last week. The blessing is God's presence, his nearness, our communion, our fellowship with him in this life, but even more so in eternity. Right now, we are limited in our, way, our fellowship with God, our communion with God because of our fallenness and because we live in this broken world. One day, we'll experience God face to face. The way the Apostle Paul talks about this is that now we see in a mirror dimly like we can kind of see an image, we can kind of see a reflection. We have an idea of God, but one day we will see face to face. Moses experienced the presence of God, even his was limited. One day we'll experience that blessing face to face. There's a blessing for you and for me. What's the blessing in this life? Well, we get to experience God's fellowship and communion. That's what verse 12 is talking about. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. When you walk through suffering and hardship and opposition for the glory of God, God's eyes are on you. His ears are open to you. But when we pursue what is evil, when we pursue what is false, he says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the pursuit of Jesus through suffering brings glory to him. The pursuit of Jesus through suffering, there's a blessing in it for us. But third reality is this. As we suffer and face opposition for Jesus Christ, we become more like Jesus Christ. It is through suffering, it is through hardship, it is through opposition that we become like Christ. Can I ask a question this morning? Show of hands in the room. How many of you want to become like Jesus? You want to be more like him. You want to love him. You want to know him more. Hands all across the room. That is a good thing. All right. Here's the flip side to that. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to become like him, if you want to experience his goodness, if you want to know his nearness and presence, that is going to come through suffering and hardship and loss. You can't avoid it. You can't get around it. You can't pursue an easy life and know Jesus. Why? Because that is the way of Jesus. That if any man would come after me, he must do what? Deny himself. That's not easy. Can we be honest? 
take up our cross day by day, follow him. And brothers and sisters, one of my burdens for you this morning, one of my burdens for our church is that we've bought into this kind of cultural Christian lie that says you can become like Jesus and know him apart from suffering and hardship. Apart from sacrifice. Apart from work. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is a life of work. Labor for the glory of God. Well, how do you know that? Look back at verse 9 says, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain. What is the word obtain? It's a, it's a work, it's a labor word. If you are going to honor the rulers in your life, that is going to be hard work. If you're going to honor the co-workers and boss in your life who, who don't love you and serve you and aren't great, that's going to be hard work. If you're going to stay in a marriage where your spouse does not love you and treat you well, that's going to be hard work. If you are going to love the person to your right, your left really well, that's going to be a lot of hard work. Amen? The gospel is not opposed to effort. The gospel is opposed to earning. Those two things are very different. Earning means I'm going to work, I'm going to labor, I'm going to pursue holiness so that God would love me. That's not the gospel. That's the opposite of the gospel. It's a works salvation. But the gospel is not opposed to effort, which means because we are loved, because we've received the goodness of God, because we've been given God's word, we labor on, we fight, we pursue holiness, we put sin to death, we love people, we sacrifice well. Because when we sacrificially pursue one another, and when we sacrificially love God, it puts the worth of God on display. So I talked about this last week uh, in one of the services. If, if I was to go and say, man, I want to love my wife Katie better. And so I'm going to study her life. I'm going to find out what she likes and what she doesn't like. I'm going to change my work schedule around so I can spend more time with her. I'm going to buy her flowers and I'm going to buy her dairy-free chocolate because she can't have dairy. And I'm going to, you know, go on hikes because she loves the outdoors even though I hate the outdoors and all those kinds of things. I'm going to pursue her heart. Would you look at me and say, man, he doesn't cherish his wife. Now, you would probably say the opposite. you say, no, he does cherish. He does value his wife. Why? Because he is fighting for her, laboring for her, laying down his life to pursue her. When you and I labor for the gospel, when we pursue what is good, when we put to death what is bad, when we suffer, when we are reviled, it magnifies the worth of God. So one of my fears for us this morning, brothers and sisters, is that for many of us, if we're not careful, we'll fall into this trap that says, I can't make disciples, can't serve the church, can't share the gospel, because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I do those things. Life is already so overwhelming. Life is already so hard. I'm in over my head. I'm afraid of what people are going to say. I don't feel like I have the capacity to do that. And in that moment, the enemy is saying, that's awesome. Because they don't want to pursue Christ-likeness. He wants us 
to not labor for the sake of the gospel. He wants us to avoid suffering at all costs. He wants us to remove ourselves from opposition. The way we become like Jesus Christ is through it. When we do premarital counseling with couples, one of my wife's favorite stories to tell couples we talk to is going on a bear hunt. Anyone ever read the book, Going on a Bear Hunt with Your Kids? So yeah, because we've got some people in the room. So uh, without reading the whole story, the story's basically like this. A bunch of kids are going on a bear hunt, which is probably not a wise thing to do, but that's what they're doing. And as they're going on this bear hunt, they go through a swamp, and they go through a snowstorm, and they go through this forest, and they go through all these obstacles, and the line is the same all the way through. We can't go around it. We can't go under it. We can't go over it. We've got to go through it. Brothers and sisters, for us to become like Jesus Christ, we can't go around suffering and hardship. We can't go around opposition and difficulty. We must go through it. One of the primary ways that God wants to make you like Jesus Christ is through the suffering, through the hardship, through the opposition. There is a blessing for you in it, His presence. His glory is made evident through it as you submit to Him. But the other part about walking through suffering and hardship well is this. You get to become like Jesus. Which is our goal. That's our aim. And that's what we get to lean into. So here's a question for us this morning. Practically, practically, what is the relationship between suffering and opposition and Christ-likeness? How does suffering, hardship, opposition produce Christ-likeness within us? And I think these four verses that we read, I think they help us to see how opposition, how suffering, how difficulty, how loss actually makes us look like Jesus and helps us become more like Him in our lives. And so I just want to highlight several big ideas for us before we take the Lord's suffer together. So let's just buckle up and we're going to walk through this passage together. First big idea is this. Experiencing opposition and loss for the passionate pursuit of the gospel, of gospel good, produces Christ-likeness. Let me say it again. Experiencing opposition and loss for the passionate pursuit of gospel good, so things that line up with God's character, things that God's word calls us to, produces Christ-likeness within us. Look at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, here's our, our statement. Zealous for what is good. That's the passionate pursuit of gospel good. Here's what Peter is saying. People who love Jesus should be passionate about doing gospel good in the lives of others. We should be zealous for good works. And these good works are not subjective good works. So it's not just like going through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and paying it forward for the person behind you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being zealous for righteousness. He clarifies that in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. So these good works align with God's word. They're obedience to him and to his word. Things like forgiving people who don't deserve it. Returning blessing for evil. Giving of your assets and income for people in need, for the glory of God, for the advancement of the mission. That's what being zealous for good works looks like. 
That I will endure hardship. I will gladly lay down the things that matter to me. I will give of my income and my assets because Jesus matters most. Because I want people to know him and I want people to experience his love. So I will sacrificially lay down my life. And he says in verse 14, you will be blessed. The pursuit of gospel good is a sign that you are a child of God. When you're willing to sacrifice the things that God has brought into your life, that you're called to be a steward of for the glory of God, it shows where your hope is. It shows that your hope is in Jesus Christ, and my hope is in Jesus Christ. If you're going to suffer in this life, verse 17, suffer for something that matters. If you're going to suffer, suffer for what is good, not suffer for what is evil. So willingly do good in the lives of others that cost you something. That's what he's saying. So one of the ways that we know that we are growing in Christ-likeness, this is really important, hang with me. One of the ways you can know if you're growing in Christ-likeness is that you are zealous for good. That you are willing to do good to others even when it costs you. Even when it means sacrifice. Even when it means, and this is one of the hardest ones for me, interruption and disruption to our lives, our routine our comfort. See, opposition and suffering, hardship, when they come into our lives, they shake things up. And in that moment of shaking things up, do we still try to pursue good for others? Or do we self-protect and pursue our own good? When we are zealous for good works, gospel good, it shows that we are becoming more like Jesus Christ. Suffering reveals if we are zealous for gospel good. Will you keep going? Will you press forward in difficulty? So here's the question for you and for me this morning. Are you zealous for what is good? Does a passionate pursuit of gospel good, does it mark your life? Does it mark my life? It's an evidence of our growing Christ-likeness. Let me give you a second big idea. Entrusting our fear and anxiety of suffering in opposition to God produces Christ-likeness. Entrusting our fear and anxiety of suffering to God produces Christ-likeness. I think there are many of us in the room, many of us in our church family, that the reason why we struggle with suffering and hardship is because of our fears about struggling and hardship. That is our fear, our trouble, our anxiety that keeps us from walking into obedience. But look what he says in verse 14. That even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Here's what Peter is saying. Brothers, sisters, children of God, you can trust your Heavenly Father. You can trust Him. Whatever He brings into your life, you don't have to fear it. You don't have to live in anxiety about it. You don't have to worry about it. You can trust Him with it. And one of the joys of the Christian life is to continue to take the things that cause us fear, cause us anxiety, cause us worry, and give them back to the one who can handle it. I want to call your attention to something. Again, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 13. It begins like this. Now, who is there to harm you? What does that mean? Here's what he's saying. If God, the God of the universe, is your God, no one can bring harm into your life ultimately. That everything that comes into your life, the good 
and the bad, if it's under the sovereign hands of our Father, that no ultimate harm can come to us. Sure, harm in this life, loss in this life, sickness in this life, sure, those things can come. But ultimately, they're not for our harm, they're for our joy. So one of the ways that you can know if you're growing in Christ-likeness is when fear and anxiety come into your heart and into your mind. What do you do with it? Does it control you or do you put it back in the hands of the one who has all control? And I know that's easier said than done, but guess what? We have a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us who will help you do that. And for some of you, the reason why you struggle to walk in obedience, to make disciples, share the gospel, serve, be generous, all those kind of things, is you're afraid of all the what-ifs that might come. Brother or sister, trust the one who holds it all. In verse 17, it might be his will. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be the will of God, than doing Either One of the ways that we know we're growing in Christ's likeness is whether or not we're, fear, we're slaves to fear and anxiety. See, suffering reveals, are you slave or fear to anxiety or slave to God? Third big idea. Honoring Jesus as holy when facing opposition and suffering produces Christ's likeness. When you go through hardship, when you go through opposition, when you go through loss, when you are faced with suffering, when someone at your work, someone in your family defames the name of Jesus and you have to take a stand for it and you choose to honor the name of Jesus as holy above all else, it shows that you're growing in Christ's likeness. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. In your hearts, honor Christ is holy. We are called to love the Lord our God with what? All of our heart. That all of our being is about honoring the Lord. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. One of the ways that you know that you're growing in Christ-likeness is when conflict and hardship and suffering and loss and opposition come into your life, your faith. And you say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to magnify Jesus' name and accept whatever consequences come to me. That makes God look glorious. That shows that you're growing in Christ's likeness. It is through suffering and loss that we have the opportunity to magnify the holiness of the name of Jesus Christ. We as a people are called to pursue holiness. I wish I had an hour just to talk about the pursuit of holiness. And one of the primary ways that we as a church and as churches have lost being salt and light to the lost world is because we've stopped pursuing holiness. But when we, in our difficulty, in our hardship, say we are going to make the name of Jesus the primary thing, we are going to pursue His holy name, it makes God look famous. Remember 1 Peter 2, 24 talking about the suffering of Jesus Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Listen to this. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That is the pursuit of holiness. That's magnifying his holy name above all else. So one of the ways that we honor God, we grow in Christ's likeness, is through honoring his name. Suffering reveals whether or not we truly honor 
Jesus as holy. When push comes to shove, when difficulty comes into your life, who are you honoring? Who are you exalting? And so suffering reveals whether we are growing in Christ's likeness by pursuing good and suffering, by trusting God with our anxieties and fears and and suffering, by pursuing His holy name and honoring Him above all else in our suffering. Let me give you one last big idea this morning. Being ready to provide a defense for the hope that is within us produces Christ-likeness. Being ready to provide a defense for the hope within us produces Christ-likeness. Let's continue on in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that your behavior in Christ, uh, so those who slander you, when they revile your good behavior, may be put to shame in Christ Jesus. So a final way we grow in Christ's likeness through suffering is being prepared to give a defense. It's being prepared to magnify the name of Jesus. Now, a couple things I want to highlight about this. First, it says to always be ready. Not sometimes, but always. That should be our posture. Secondly, he doesn't say always be prepared to be defensive. That's important. Always be ready to take up an offense. Always be ready to go to Facebook and tell everybody else why they're wrong. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying to be defensive. He's saying always be ready to be to give a defense. For what? This is important. The hope that is in you. Brothers and sisters, is there a hope in you that's worth defending? Not just giving a defense for your doctrine, but for your hope. See, when suffering and hardship come into our life, it's like a sponge and it squeezes out what's inside of us. When you are squeezed, what comes out? Is there a hope worth defending? Are you ready to make a defense for that hope? When you're put in the ringer of cancer, when you're persecuted for standing up for Christ in your workplace or in your school, when you endure suffering and hardship from a spouse who doesn't love you well, does hope come out in the ringer? Are you ready to give a defense for that? And it's not maybe give a defense or if difficulty comes in. That word ready or be prepared is the exact same word in the Greek that Jesus used in Matthew 24 when he says, be ready for I'm coming again. See, it's not a matter if I need to make a defense. It's when. If you are a Jesus follower, living for the glory of God, magnifying His name, walking obedience to the Great Commission, your hope will be put on display. Hope that is alive, going back to 1 Peter 1.3, cannot be hidden. It comes out. And it comes out in the crucible of opposition, the crucible of suffering and hardship. How are we to give defense? Gentleness, respect, and a good conscience. We're not coming out with our guns blazing. We're coming out in humility, magnifying the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who our hope is found in Him. Suffering reveals our hope. 
Are you ready to give a defense to that hope? Do you have a hope worth defending? So as you listen to all this, you might be asking this question. What is the connection between these big ideas, these things? Fear and anxiety, being zealous for good, and honoring the name of Jesus, and being ready to give a defense. What does that have to do with Christ-likeness? Here's what it has to do with it. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the example of walking through opposition and suffering for the glory of the Father. He was zealous for good works that honored the Father. He was crucified for it. In the garden, when he was being pressed, when he said, if you can take this cup from me, he entrusted his fear, his trouble, his anxiety, the great drops of blood. He gave those back to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. He understands anxiety. He understands the weight of trouble and fear. Until his cry, it is finished, Jesus never stopped honoring the Father. He never yielded. He never submitted. He always brought glory and honor to the name of the Father. Before Pilate, he gave his defense. Are you the Son of God? It is as you say. And the Son of Man will be seated on the right hand of the Father. That in the moment of his greatest suffering, he gave a defense for his hope. Jesus' suffering revealed his hope. Brothers and sisters, here's here's what I want to say in conclusion. When suffering and hardship come into your life, does it reveal your hope? What is your hope in this morning? If hardship reveals our hope, what is your hope in this morning? And if you're like me, you might be thinking through this and saying, I fall so short. I get caught up with the busyness of my day, not doing gospel good. I get overwhelmed by the anxiety and stress of trying to be faithful. That I don't, I'm not faithful. I forget the honor the name of Jesus Christ. Half the time I don't feel like I'm ready to give a defense. If that's you this morning and you're a brother or sister in Christ, I want to encourage you. Run to Jesus. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. He is the one that we lay our lives on. And this morning, we get to be reminded of that through the taking of the Lord's Supper. So as we go into this time of response and we think about the cup and we think about the bread that represents His body that was beaten and torn. So we think about the, the juice that represents His blood that was shed as He was pressed and crushed for your sin and my sin. He is the picture for us of what it looks like to suffer well, what it looks like to honor God for the joy that was set before Him. May He be our example this morning. I just want to invite you where you are to bow your heads and close your eyes. And This is an opportunity of response and preparation to take the Lord's Supper. As the band comes, they're going to kind of play behind us. I just want to give you a couple minutes just to examine your heart and your mind. And a couple questions for you this morning as you pray. First is this, where is your hope? Where is your hope this morning? Is it in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Or is it in something or someone else? What is your hope? 
What is the next step of obedience that Jesus is calling you to that very well might bring suffering, hardship, loss, difficulty into your life that you've been avoiding, that you've been running from? Fear and anxiety that you need to confess to Him. God, forgive me. Instead of making a defense for my hope, I've been running from making a defense. Help me walk in obedience. Help me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. Maybe there's a specific area of sin in your life that you need to be honest to the Lord about, confess and repent. Maybe there's a brother or sister in your life that you have wronged or you've been wronged by that you need to forgive. This is the space to do that. Fathers, we...